Today on Panelism, we're talking about fantasy, when it is good to break the rules, and when, for some reason, it's not okay to break the rules. Panelism, a podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf, and sometimes broader topics like today's. I'm Todd A. I'm Taylor Trask. Broader topics? That sounds very vague. Like, what What are we, I mean, are we talking about, uh, <laughs> I can't, I, I don't want to say anything without being offensive. Like, I, I, just, I, I just clammed up because you specifically requested banter at the beginning of this. I'm like, <sighs> how to banter? I did. It's in my writer. It's just a thing pops up on our teleprompter. Banter from Taylor. <laughs> Wait, you told me not to go ahead and jump right into the the topic. So, uh, how are you doing? <laughs> I yeah yeah I, I'm doing I'm doing well. We're recording this uh, the day after we recorded our uh, other podcast Wednesday in Westeros. So it's it's kind of like a full schedule this week. We got you know we've been while we're doing two shows. It seems like oh yeah we gotta <laughs> yeah and that episode because the the panelism shows tend to have a little more. Uh, like, uh, you know, long life. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Evergreen. evergreen. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to, that uh, evergreen, I get, I, yeah, it makes sense, but it always sounds to me like when someone's like, wow, we've got some great content for you. Oh yeah. <laughs> evergreen like content. Weird buzzword. <laughs> it never spoils. It never um, goes bad. You can leave it on your kitchen counter all year long. That's yeah. our kind of content. Well-preserved. Um, well, yeah, yeah, that that uh, Game of Thrones episode we should uh, mention is season eight, episode five, which was called "The Bells," which I think is a, you know, like kind of puts a pin in where we are at this moment in history as we're going to talk about these broader topics. Yeah, and we're actually, for those of you not aware of, if you're still not aware that we host a second podcast, we are joined by our good friend Emily Kelly who is just wonderful. So she's been on panelism a few times in the past when it was called something else. Yep. Uh, but she's, she's a fantastic addition to that show. If you want a female's perspective and a really good point of view, check out Wednesday and Westeros and just check out Emily Gilly in, in general. Yeah. A female human's perspective. I would add a female human's perspective, um, not just a female, uh, a woman's perspective. <laughs> there we go. Um, the, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we mentioned that on Wednesday and Westeros so that she had crossed over onto panelism a few times. And I had sort of thought, well, we should mention, like, we talk, when we talked about the Wonder Woman movie, she joined us. Yeah. When we talked about Logan, she joined us. And when we talked about Supergirl, she joined us. And we have an upcoming episode that has, like, a special guest starring clip from her because we, you and I both interviewed her on a specific topic about a comic book that I will discuss in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, that'll that, be interesting. I thought that was neat. I, it was cool that we did that and that we were both on the call together rather than me just calling her up and saying like, Hey, I want to get a sound bite from you. You know? Yeah. Is, um, is it weird that Logan is already two years old now? Yeah. Have you revisited it? I mean, I, you know what? I'm glad you asked that. I haven't. And it's not mm. for any reason that I didn't enjoy it. It's just because that was such a singular experience. Yeah, I exactly. It's not easy to rewatch that. Cause you're just like, I, it, it almost needs to be like, you watch it. You know, spoilers he dies and that's it it's 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 not i mean maybe there'll be a day where i i just go back because i just i crave that team 
that creative yeah. team, which God damn, they did such a great job, but as good as it is, I haven't watched it again. It's, it's a tough rewatch for sure. And I almost feel like I would have to be in a dark movie theater. Yeah. It's sort of like stuck in there. Like, okay, I, you know, I'm just, I'm going to get through this, like no distractions because I mean, for one thing, it's so hard to watch Professor X. Like, just mm, God, yes. Know, it's just oh, like right. as delightful as X23 is, um, which is not really delightful, like terrifying. But yeah, uh, yeah well but acted, well, well portrayed. The Xavier story is just, it's hard. Oh. Um, you know what other movie I haven't watched since? And it's, and it's even older than that, but uh, for similar reasons Mad Max Fury Road. I. Oh, yeah. I kind of feel like I need to see that in a theater on a big screen or it's just not the same. Like that is an experience. You can't really replicate that at home unless you just have a massive, you know, little yeah. movie theater in your house or something. If you're one of those people, which yeah. God bless you, but I, I yeah. how I saw, I did not see it in the theater, but I think what I did was I rented it at my parents' house one time where they had a huge TV and oh. I was able to, you know, it was like, <laughs> well, I missed this. I better catch up, but that I was had not four years the- ago. That was four years ago. And I haven't seen the black and chrome edition. I'd really like to see that on an awesome. Oh, there's a good point. There's a good reason to rewatch it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you're right. It's, I mean, it's almost like that game of Thrones episode from a few weeks ago, uh, the long night where it's, you know, the ideal viewing conditions are turn out all the lights, Mm -hmm. (laughs) have the biggest screen possible, turn it to sports mode. (laughs) See everything. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about that black and chrome edition i haven't seen it but that's that's a good one too wow yeah um i had this note that i wouldn't have normally shared in the episode except that you asked for banter uh and now it's an awkward transition which is man i'm not even making coffee at home anymore Mm. i'm on earl gray tea iced with a shot of honey in it Hmm. that's what i'm doing these days no, Interesting. No well, I that. just made coffee. I just made an air press. <laughs> if you're a fan, coffee at like 6 p.m. Well, I was man, I've had a long day. And and I just it it's something where if you make your own AeroPress and it's really good. We're going back to the coffee and comics days right now. If you yeah, make your own AeroPress exactly. and it's it is as delightful as mine is, you want it no matter the time. Well, no, when you do that, are you doing a single shot of espresso? Well, when it's an AeroPress, it is just it's a twelve I do twelve ounces in oh, a, okay. in an gotcha. AeroPress and then it's just it's a single cup, but it's a pretty condensed one. So gotcha. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Um, anyway. Yeah, I uh, received a French press um, from a friend for like a yeah, for Christmas, I guess. And it was um mm. uh, it's 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 an adjustment, as you know. I'm a mm-hmm. coffee Philistine. No, so. no. Anyway, is that enough? Chit chat. <laughs> yes, fine. It's enough banter. God, <laughs> I'm just like staring at an outline, going, I don't know how to transition to this. I'm That's the okay. one who stupidly brought up brewed beverages. Yeah. Um, we have obviously we've mentioned Game of Thrones already in this intro, and a couple of topics that come up on Wednesday and Westeros that just got me thinking. Uh, and so this is, a, I mean. <laughs> I would say it's a bit of an experiment in that neither we, you and I vaguely know what the other is going to talk about in a mm. conversation about fantasy, but it's sort of like a really old, like episode seven and eight kind of things where if we just pick a topic like spy movies, that could go anywhere, you yeah. know? Or um, like what is sci-fi? I remember that yeah, kind exactly. of a similar vein um, to what we're about to talk and about. 
fact, I was going to uh, touch upon that. So I'm glad you brought up that specific episode because that kind of reminds me of it. But I, I'll tell you where we where I, I got into thinking about this was through Game of Thrones. And you'll hear on Wednesday and Westeros a couple weeks ago, I was like, don't get me started on my feudalism and fantasy like rant. And um, and it <clears throat> I I started sort of pondering fantasy in general. And as you and eagle-eared listeners of this podcast know, like I've uh, gotten into the world of Dungeons and Dragons after a long hiatus of, uh, you know, when I was a child having the sets and never really playing it because I didn't have friends that wanted to play it. Um, and so I, I'm surrounded by Dungeons and Dragons on TV and, you know, in my <laughs> like social life and everything like that. Uh, and there's definitely this template, this, this you know, a medieval fantasy template that is what we talk about when we talk about fantasy. Like, I, I think that most times when you say fantasy, um, people think you're going to talk about dragons or something like that. Well, what about something like Saga? You know, the graphic exactly. novel series? That's, I, that is definitely, I mean, my mind is definitely fantasy. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could argue that it's sci-fi too, but it feels yeah. like it's a fantasy epic um, in a sci-fi context. But that, I mean, that to me more and more seems like, what fantasy is moving forward, meaning that a lot of creators are stretching that boundary pretty, pretty broad. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> but why not, you know, and uh, it, that's why I'm glad you brought up that sci-fi episode. We talked about saga on that sci-fi episode. We should yeah. figure out what episode that was. Cause it was seriously like our eighth or ninth. It was so long time ago. And uh, we came, we were sort of like relying on, you know, different, uh, tropes or, or subgenres of fantasy like is this sci-fi uh, is this fantasy sci-fi or is it hard sci-fi or you know mm-hmm. what uh low sci-fi or soft i don't remember but you know in <laughs> fantasy we talk about high fantasy and low fantasy and mm-hmm. generally that sort of has to do with how many weird creatures and and how much magic is in it let's be um, honest though the general public does not they just think right, of right, right. fantasy of and <clears throat> sci-fi and so it's like when you get really nuanced about it a lot of people look at you kind of like why is this important i mean it yeah. is to well, and I, people but I, so i think what's interested me in this lately is this idea that when you say fantasy mm-hmm. it conjures that image of like a dragon mm-hmm. um or it, it is a medieval template that they're thinking of. And then they automatically sort of imprint upon it, this old idea, you know, like I think one of the most radical things George Lucas did was to have star Wars, the first movie, which I will always refer to by that name, um, having the crawl say, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, you know, so that it, it's not the future. And right. Not, uh, and it, that was so radical of like, Oh, wow. You're, it is sort of like, medieval and it's a space opera and it's like a swashbuckler and a samurai film and this happened a long time ago it didn't happen it's not happening later in the future it's not star trek you know um when for example on our show last night of wednesday and westeros you brought up this point about you know if daenerys really wanted to to be the breaker of chains she should have founded something that looked like a democracy that would have been like super radical and i have also suggested that in years past um, with a friend who said, he was like, you're just, you're looking at it wrong. Like you're looking at it as modern person. And that's not what, what they would do in that context. And, and so one, why do you, why do we assume this is old? Because it looks mm. like medieval. And <laughs> two, uh, the Greeks and Romans had democratic republics hundreds of years before the middle ages and medieval times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a great point. Oh my God. And so 
I, and that's really where I, I'm interested in this. I recently uh, picked up a book on on Celtic myths, which I don't know a lot about. And the very first one I started reading talked about how this myth was, was basically rewritten once Ireland became Christianized. So this was a pagan Celtic myth um, that over the years, you know, because I'm sure it was like oral tradition kind of thing. Now it ends in this weird thing where the priests come and cure the, you know, the cursed people in it. But <laughs> so I, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any good answers here. I'm not a, an historian, um, but I do wonder if there's this weird thing of like, thinking of fantasy as medieval and having to do with dragons and knights and swords and shit like that is a Eurocentric. I mean, it has to be right. It is a Eurocentric yeah, yeah, and maybe specifically Christianized version of things, you know, Christian like version is, well, that's a, that's apt because think about how many, how much fantasy just in the general term kind of fits that mold. Even Lord yeah. of the Rings, for God's sake, is a giant Christian allegory to a lot of people of uh, uh, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, giant Christian allegory, like all these kind of yeah. fantastical things. You know what you'd never really see in terms of quote unquote fantasy is Asian or Chinese inspired myths, which are probably even more epic. They, they last I me mean, uh, think about Chinese culture in particular has been around a lot longer than most of Europe yeah. by far. I, there's a wonderful scene in a recent Wicked and Divine issue where the whole issue is just the same panel over the course of every um, every 70 years, I believe. Is that yeah, yeah, where the, where the people are reborn. Yeah, uh, and, so it, and it shows what happens every single cycle from the very beginning, like the earliest of man to now. And like half of them are Chinese. <laughs> like half of them are just because that's how long China has been around. So it's interesting to me that you that so much of that culture and that heritage and that version of fantasy is not prevalent in the global consciousness. And I do think it is largely to, due to just the Crusades and yeah. Christianity and that uh, coloring of what fantasy has become to a lot, a lot of people. Um, yeah, and again, even take, well, real quick, take the most cliche of all fantasy tropes, Arthurian lore. Yeah. Like, what is Arthurian lore? But I mean, that's almost just a giant Christian allegory too. Yeah. Well, no, that's a great example because uh, you know that recently I rewatched Excalibur, and um, which is a pretty funny film to go back and watch, like the actual R-rated Excalibur. Um, but it, you know, it had me thinking all of a sudden, of, you know, all over again of okay, so these are knights, you know, like this is around Crusade period time, like it's it's historically set, and they have magicians and like. <laughs> So this, I, I can't speak intelligently enough about how other cultures do it. I guess I just see what my culture has done to it. And that is that the, you know, Christian way of conquering was to come into a place and take over all of their traditions as their own, yeah, true. you know, like Saturnalia becomes Christmas. Um, you know, the, the, like rites of spring become Easter and, um, you know, things like that. Like it's, but uh, even just the, even the, but just imagine the trope of the hero male or female oh, yeah. riding in on a mission from God or a mission, like they're not even necessarily from God, but think about Daenerys. Like she's on this yeah, mission, yeah, this one. anointed to become this savior, this Messiah. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, that all straight, it's not like she's come to, to break Cersei and then she goes off into the, you know, into the sunset on her own. Like she, no, 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 I'm here. 
to, I, I have been chosen by whatever force you, you believe in to be the breaker of change, be this mythic figure to take over and, and install Targaryen rule and Targaryen culture. And it's all the things that come after the takeover that we never really get a sense of in a lot of fantasy. No. You think about, I mean, just think about every fantasy story where the ending is, and he was crowned king. Yeah, and happily ever after. after. It's like, what, <laughs> what then? Yeah, and then Blind the Witch in the Wardrobe, um, you know, the uh, the Narnia, the books kind of give us a sense of that in, in each subsequent one, especially the um, uh, the, uh, the second one. I forget the title, but that flashes forward a thousand years into Narnia's future Ooh. after they're all, you know, the, the legend of those four kids as kings and queens has passed. Their castle is just rubble, you know, and then so that everything is kind of set in motion since then. So you get a sense of that, but it's still these stories rarely give you the what next. It always sort of ends on and they were crowned king and queen. And that is the moral of the story is that that sort of that that takeover, that influence at that high level is all that matters. Well, I mean, I'm so glad you brought up Tolkien and and C.S. Lewis Uh because I wasn't even thinking of them. I was thinking on like the purely like sort of mythical level. Um, But, but even a recent example of that is how the Lord of the Rings movies did not include the last chapter. Things weren't happily ever after in the book. Oh, you're right. The the scourge of the Shire. Yeah. What an interesting thing. Like I, I really didn't put that together. It's almost like, I think that was Tolkien, like uh, trying to uh, deconstruct his own, like perfect fantasy kind of thing. Well, a lot of it was based on his his uh, horror at World War II. Right, I mean, right, right. as many people who think it's like a Christian allegory, it's a World War II allegory, first and foremost. Let's just be clear. You can insert as much Christianity as you want into it. And yet, granted, there is some of that, but it's a World War II allegory, first and foremost, people. So the scourging of the Shire is in his mind's eye, what would, you know, what Britain would have become if the Nazis had taken over. Right. If, yeah, yeah, exactly. If, if Britain had fallen, this is sort of like him playing that out, playing out that paranoia of what would have happened to this beautiful green countryside once uh, this dark entity took over. It would have been, I understand why they took it out of the movies. It just would have felt really disjointed, especially alongside all the multiple endings that everybody constantly yeah. complained about. I just don't, but you're right. In In the case of that, it was, Towards the end, you know, he almost kind of has his cake and eats it too. He, you know, Aragorn is crowned king and he ruled justly forever and ever. Yeah. Yeah, you have that. But then Frodo's POV is one of PTSD and yeah. strife and you know, never truly satisfied. Never like he went through this experience and he was never whole again. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that part of it because that really does speak to what does happen in some of these stories. Like, hey, sometimes the hero doesn't make it out the same person or, or a whole person or they they're irreparably damaged having having been a hero i don't i'm sure there's earlier versions of that theme but that i'm, I'm so glad we have a, a semi-modern starting point yeah. for that well i think um I, you know I, I can only speak to the the myths that i'm familiar with which are largely like anglo-saxon and greek and roman of course and then uh, norse yeah. and there is definitely like there is a there's there's an i don't know there's an interest in norse myths in our culture for sure and there's an idea that we understand uh, the vikings as like you know their like their images are shown all over like in game of thrones last night that that image of the northern army standing outside king's landing i thought was very viking viking-esque you know yeah. The, yeah. the rough hewn you know bearded sort of 
just ugly, you know, people from up north. Like they were just rough compared to the people in the beautiful leather armor and, you know, great hats. Yeah. Um, but when you read the myths, they're fucking crazy. And they don't have those, they never have happy endings. And they're all so weird. And it's just, it, it's a huge disconnect. And I think that's why, you know, I, again, like when we speak for my culture, I think that's why like Americans never, like as much as we're interested in it, it never took hold as sort of the, uh, template for our fantasy because it was, it's so messy and crazy. You know I mean? There were those people that were irrevocably damaged and, you know, it's like we cherry picked the best bits out of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Left the, rest behind, left the context of the rest of it, the hard life, the dark nights. Yeah. When it's long it, all of that behind. Right. 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 No, that's a great point. And like, you know, and, and to contrast that with Greek myths, I think is interesting where they were all very representative of something mm-hmm. and we're always taught, or at least I was, we had a, a large, you know, uh, amount of Greek myths sort of drilled into us in school in order to understand literature. And um, so you're taught that like everything's an allegory, everything represents something else, you know, everything's a symbol. And then, so when you read the Norse myths, you're like, well, this is, this is just nuts. What the, <laughs> what's going on? Like, where is the literal world in this Yggdrasil like world tree? I don't understand what's going, you know, how is there a snake wrapped around the earth? Like none of it makes any sense. Um, and the, you know, the, the gods don't seem to have like, a, they have a real <laughs> flexible view on morality and things like that. It, yeah. It's not allegory exact, or actually it's maybe a, a more perfect allegory, which is that human being human is messy. Um, but I kind of feel like to have this conversation in full, each of us and even our listeners need to read the works of Joseph Campbell, specifically okay. the hero with a thousand faces and the masks of a God. Even historical atlas of world mythology, but I mean, I think at this point, if you if you pay attention, you kind of know a lot of that. But just here with a thousand faces is interesting. It's as you were talking, I was wondering, my you know, my mind's eye, what <sighs> fantasy as a genre, as a container of of story that sort of all is interrelated, is truly a Eurocentric, ethno, you know, uh, Anglocentric package. You know, we already mentioned, I already mentioned Asia, China, but think about somebody who lives in Peru or somebody at the foot of Machu, uh, Machu Picchu. Like what, what is their version of fantasy? It clearly isn't anything we've just described. It's not the Norse gods. It's not, it's not a king and a queen riding into a castle and taking it over with a wizard standing, but it's none of that. And it makes me wonder like how, how limited we might be. Think about just, let's take it back to Game of Thrones for a second. One of the one of the appeals of that show is that it takes fantasy cliches and tropes and subverts them. Yeah. It gives you season one for God's sake. It, it builds up your classic cliche hero um, in Ned Stark. And then it kills him at the end and not yeah. even at the end, like before the end it's like, yeah. and he's dead and you're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. And that's the moment I think that hooks everybody where it's like, Oh, if that can happen, anything can happen. Anything yeah. I assumed is up for grabs. So that's that's important, but at some point, even that's going to run its course. I wonder how much richer we'd be as a global society of of readers and you know people who love story. If, how much richer we'd be if we were more actively looking for non Eurocentric, Anglocentric, uh, quote unquote fantasy. If we were more attuned to south american fantasy yeah. and chinese fantasy and and um, i mean we have there is one sort of exception to this rule which is um uh, arabian nights which is sort of as mm. lauded 
if you will, as Arthurian legend. I remember even going to the library in my little hometown in South Dakota, and those two books were sitting right beside each other, like Camelot and the Arabian Nights were right there. And so you kind of think of both of those. So Arabian, and that's maybe just because of the success of that collection of stories and Arabian myth and, you know, good Lord, Aladdin's coming out as a live action movie soon. So we do celebrate that. That isn't a a Eurocentric, Anglo-centric thing, but that's like the only exception that I can think of. Well, um, um, not a total, I mean, it's, it, it never hit that huge of an audience, but I, I, we should name drop, um, uh, the, uh, the Crescent Moon Kingdoms series by Saladin Ahmed, um, mm. which is, uh, he's actually an, an American author, <laughs> but, um, it is set in the Middle East and is, is, um, like that, that is where it draws its fantasy from and its whole story. And, I, and I've, have not, you know, full confession, have not read uh, the first book is um, Throne of the Crescent Moon. I have not read that, or I don't even know if the others exist. Um, but uh, I, I've, it's received such high praise and it's, you know, on my uh, to read list. Can I inject, as you're saying that, then the thought occurred to me, can I inject another layer to this? Yeah. Which goes back to another episode from our past where we talked about hard power versus soft power mm. and the Rose Tycho test. Um, I forget which episode number that is. You can look it up. We yeah. delve into that pretty specifically around Star Wars, but I'm going to apply it here too. You think about what, and let's just really say an American audience, because as, as powerful as China is with the global box office, it's still an American audience that drives a lot of the creative choices. I do wonder if Arabian Nights and all those interrelated stories are held to such a uh, higher, you know, are held to a higher state of consciousness or awareness because most of those stories are hard power. It is, think about, just take the story of Aladdin's lamp. It is, you know, a, a young man who's chosen by fate to find this mythic thing and use it to become king of the, you know, king of the land or rise to the station. And they lived happily ever after. It's, it's the same motif, right? Yeah. But it's all hard power based. It's all like, Hey, this guy uses strength to take over and, and rule the land justly. Whereas think about something like crouching tiger, hidden dragon, not necessarily myth, but I would, I would argue is probably, I mean, in, in a lot of, it, by every definition, is probably considered fantasy, Asian-based fantasy, um, but very soft power. As cool as those fight mm. scenes are, it's still very much a soft power kind of story, I think. Maybe, I mean, convince me otherwise, you or, in, or our listeners, but I just, I feel like that is a, is a different kind of thing. And I would wonder mm. if a lot of these Chinese fantasy myths are based on soft power. Like, I think, what's the one story, like the Monkey King there's like a whole sub genre of the, I'll have to look it up. Yeah. I mean, I, when I, the book on uh, Celtic mythology that I was reading recently, I bought it as part of some crazy Amazon deal on like all of these separate volumes of mythology mm. from everywhere. So, uh, I believe I have a Chinese mythology in there and a Japanese mythology. And I, um, what's the name of this book? I want to get this. What is it? I what's literally it? think it's called Celtic mythology. <laughs> why is there, why are there Chinese stories in there no 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 no. there's like separate books they but they oh. had those like they had those kindle deals where it was like three of them for 5.99 or something so i the packages i bought had all of these different like a different book on you know celtic and egyptian and uh south american or whatever Ooh, so egyptian fantasy is another yeah. i totally neglected that yeah. that where do you think that sits in the in the global 
consciousness, Egyptian mythology. We've we've had some movies and stories, obviously, and there's been there's yeah, been a true. lot we of do, you know Egyptian mythology. Um, that's I mean, I mean in a weird, I, this is probably probably you're probably too old for this, but one of my go-to references for <laughs> modern Egyptian mythology is the anime Yu-Gi-Oh, which is largely based on sort of like, especially towards the end, the last season, they just go full Egypt. Uh, but it's it is hard power all the way down, mm-hmm. um, but not not anything. That is a Japanese take on Egyptian mythology, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a total yeah. mashup. Yeah, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. It's I, but yeah. I, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it is, I, I, I don't know. It's all a, fer- a fertile field for us to like sort of draw from all of these mythologies. I, I'm curious as you're saying that, like how much of this over overlapped in, in uh, history, you know, like mm. when, uh, because we tend to think of it as sort of, um, you know, as, as Western students, we tend to think of it as uh, like, a timeline, you know, first there was Egypt, then there was uh, Greece, then there was Rome. Uh, then there were like the European myths, you know, then there was America. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a totally stupid way to look at it. <laughs> like mm-hmm. so many of these things are happening in parallel, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, to circle back to something I said at the beginning, like I, when we watch medieval templated fantasy and we like to think of it as being a long time ago and they wouldn't have things like democracy or, um, uh, you know, in Game of Thrones, I remember we were all made very uncomfortable about Joffrey's uh, um, homophobia, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and to think of like, well, but if we were in a historical context and this came, you know, came after Greece, I, I mean, the Middle Ages and sort of the Dark Ages period were in large part like driven by the church, you know, yeah. and, a, and yeah. a specific like rejection of all the knowledge that the world had previously been developing in from Egypt and Greece and Rome. And, you know, that, um, I don't know. It's <laughs> not a great thing, not a great time period to choose to template everything off of. Um, but I, I, but to kind of get back to where we started, which I, although I love these diversions, um, I, I think that once we get in any context like that, it, the whole idea of using fantasy is to be able to examine all of these things like history and culture and, and, uh, you know, sex and violence and race without it being in our current, uh, you know, setting. And, and that way we can look at it through this different lens of like, what if we gave this group of people ultimate power? What, what, like, why don't we see medieval fantasies that are matriarchies? You know, Mm. like that would be amazing to see a Eurocentric matriarchy, medieval fantasy Mm. or, um, you know, just, do you think that's why a lot of people were upset, irrationally upset, in my opinion, that um, Daenerys didn't fulfill that particular? I, I think a lot of people were on board with Team Danny because mm. she was it was headed that direction. It's like, oh, this is going to end with a matriarchy run by this benign, benevolent woman riding her dragons in, yeah. and and when that hasn't happened, it's like, oh, then or or. If it does happen, it's going to be because she's just as shitty as all the men. Is that? Do you think that's subconsciously what's behind a lot of that angst? Is that everybody was sort of craving that evolution of fantasy yeah. to something like that, and then it's, we're it's, we're turning out not to be that? I, I would bet that that that's a pretty big percentage. I mean, um, it's a really interesting thought because I, uh, I would have accepted <laughs> a Daenerys like queendom, if that's what it turned into, 
Yeah. You know, I, it's so weird the way game of Thrones did it. Cause I don't, I don't think they exactly pulled the rug out from under us. I think our, uh, co-hosts, Emily's, um, observation about nature versus nurture and how Daenerys literally had no chance to <laughs> be like a peaceful queen. She was mm-hmm. raised, you know, and, and tempered by all these experiences in her life to, to be like a, a strong man kind of leader yeah. and, and a, you know, a violent leader. Um, but think about, but think about, we do have signposts in history for either not necessarily a matriarchy in the official sense, but a lot of women who crushed it for a long time. Think about just England alone. You've got Queen Victoria. You've got the current queen. You've got all these queens yeah. down the line. Spanish, uh, uh, Spain had um, Queen Isabel, who basically funded the ex- exploration of the New World. Um, Egypt had all kinds of queens throughout its its uh, sort of prominence as a kingdom. It this this goes yeah. back. This isn't like these aren't like few and far between. There's a lot of evidence of of women yeah. in these powerful roles. It's interesting then that most of modern day fantasy doesn't still, I mean, Daenerys is almost sui generis in, in that context. And that's surprising to me. It's surprising that we haven't had, I mean, Joan of Arc to some extent, which is, you know, it was real, but still like a lot of the Joan of Arc stories kind of sub for that, I guess. But other than that, there's just that in yeah. Game of Thrones. I mean, where else have we seen these stories? What do you think that's about? Why do you well, think that's been sort of hidden, even though it's obvious to anybody who studies history? Well, that's, I mean, that's super interesting because even just setting it with a powerful queen or, or even just like a rich queen, like that Isabella point is amazing. But I would say that in the, I mean, my, my counter to that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to argue this like <laughs> in any way is just that though, though we had powerful Queens in European history, they were not, they did not exist in a, in a matriarchy because the, you know, they still were under like the patriarchy of, you know, if they, if they had a son, mm-hmm. the kingdom was going to that son, not, oh, the, true. not yeah. the daughter they had, you know? Yeah. Um, they were, yeah, they were only queen sort of at the inconvenience of a, a man's death <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess at that time, like the tools to the, the scribes were all still men. So the yeah. tools and, and distribution of story was still controlled by either men in a religious sense or just men in general. So it wasn't like there's you know women out there could be like this is inspiring me to write a story about uh, another queen like that message couldn't spread nearly as quickly they could control and tamp it down yeah well um, I'm I'm sure there I'm sure there are modern fantasy stories that explore all these things and so you know if you listener know of these things please let us know I hate being there's a ignorant lot of coming, about tying it back to comics there's plenty of comics and graphic exactly novels yeah yeah I'm glad you led into that because I think that's that's where we're seeing a big explosion of this stuff um and i know we're 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 all already all over the fantasy map but i do you know i i I see this um large growth of like uh female creators in comic comics specifically and i just wonder if you know i don't know that's so weird i almost said that and then i remember as a child like the first fantasy series i was really aware of like after C.S. Lewis was uh, probably uh, Anne McCaffrey's uh, Dragon Song, Dragon Flight. Like I read several of those novels, mm. which are all about dragons and stuff. And um, who's the lead character in those? I have no idea. I do not remember this at all. <laughs> like I just know I read them, but I was like twelve years old or something. Think about, but think about this. Let's 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 bring this really to the 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 present, or more or less the present. When you were a kid, so in this late seventies, eighties, 
reading stories, a lot. Think about on one hand, you have uh, you know a, a King Arthur, you know, young boy who's yep. raised by a wizard to be true and just, and and basically fulfill this destiny and everything. Yeah, and he's got some challenges along the way, but everything kind of seems to go well for him. On the other side, you know, the stories, the classic stories outside of C.S. Lewis that have a female. Uh, protagonist or at the you know, female character at the center, Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz, two mm. girls who are in these crazy psychedelic surrealist mindscapes mm. and everything just ha- everything that could possibly go wrong. It's like they're not, they don't have any agency in those stories as, or nearly as much as, as the boys do in, in the other stories. So it, it's sort of like when we do, and I'm even thinking, God, even in more modern context, I hate fairyland. Is that on an extreme example? You've got, Gertrude in Scotty Young's uh, amazing graphic novel series, which is now concluded, you got Gertrude as an extreme version of this girl in this fantastical landscape, and just everything goes wrong. She can't get out of it. She's trying to find her way home. It just can't. It can't. It doesn't happen. She yeah, she meets friends along the way and and has some luck, but it's just it's constantly like the world is against her, and she's just fighting, 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 fighting to make it to to achieve this thing that you don't know if she's ever gonna. Um, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz is a great example because she gets, yeah, she makes it back to Kansas after the first book, but there are so many Oz books where she gets sucked back in again and sucked back in again and just constantly having to deal with all this nonsense. Yeah. That's interesting. That's, and th- those are, I mean, I would consider Alice in Wonderland, uh, Oz, all of that is fantasy in my mind. True. Uh, I, and um, oh, I'm only saying this as a, because it is a point of interest to me, not, not as a, a criticism of your examples, because those are perfect examples, but all, all men writers. Yeah. Um, and ooh, yeah. my mind jumped to Mary Shelley, which is uh, not a book about uh, like Frankenstein is not a book about like a, a female protagonist, you know? So I, I'm kind of like stumbling for that. I mean, we had <laughs> Ursula Le Guin in like sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm curious. I get, and I guess once we break into like sci-fi and, and uh, you know, uh, Frankenstein fantasy kind of territory, then we're, we're out of the fantasy genre in a way, but I'm um, I, I, you know, I guess where this specifically impacts me is when uh, now, if all the people who are upset by Daenerys's um, burning of the city in last night's episode of game of Thrones or two nights ago, um, if they, if they were sincerely bummed because they thought she was going to install like a matriarchy, that that's leg- a legitimate bumming out, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um I, I, you know, I, I think that like the same people who are bummed about that. I don't know. This is a huge assumption might be people that were, you know, pushed back on us uh, when we suggested, why doesn't she start a democracy? Because mm-hmm. that's not like quote realistic or something. And mm-hmm. it's, and, and that I guess is where I, I, I want it to go or where I want to like, you know, pick apart. Why do we feel that? Like, why do we feel that there are rules to this, fantasy even though just because we set it in like a medieval look you know Mm. and i think i think the culture get would get richer if we started to examine uh, issues like the slavery in essos and the uh, divine right of kings and and all that like if, if you looked at that and you went like we know how it was in history let's let's put everybody in those same costumes and then shred that <laughs> those ideas mm. and deconstruct them completely. Like then, what does it look like? And what is, mm. you know, what what are the what's the capacity for fantasy and stuff? And I, you know, this is a thing that um, comes up because when I play Dungeons and Dragons, there's you're always 
you know, I understand that you have to have some guardrails for the rules to work, mm -hmm. but those mm -hmm. rules aren't necessarily, um, you know, medieval or in any way like that. Well, there's, you're always bumping up against other things where people, you know, people want it to be quote realistic in some way of like, well, of course a party is going to be mostly men. You know, uh, is, like, aren't there versions of D and D where it's like it's space or it's yeah. not the classic Dungeons and Dragons motif, but there's yeah. offshoots. And granted, the the classic D and D is sort of the most popular. But I've I've heard of people doing like, hey, we're gonna do Avengers D and D or you know Space yeah, yeah. Station D and D or just like something. It's interesting that it probably stands reason that those aren't as popular or as well known because they do sort of deviate too far from the central the central themes. Yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I don't want to Magic the Gathering is another, another, let's bring that into it too, because all those, especially those early mm. decks were all classic, you know, fantasy mm. and the grounded earth-based, you know, think about the mm. mana cards and, and magic. It's, it's mountains, it's forests, it's oceans, it's yeah. plains, it's, it's swamps. You know, it's all these things that we've just, that have colored fantasy storytelling for years and years and years and years so it's and you can have some really and some of the newer magic decks have much more fantastical right uh non yeah more, much more like final fantasy almost where it's kind of a, a sci-fi fantasy hybrid yeah uh but it still it still goes back to that those same motifs yeah well i have a crazy question related to that so um uh did did or does magic the gathering because i've never played it and i don't know too much about the culture but does it um ha like is it known for being largely a men's area? I don't like a, think so. a boys I mean, club. I, I may, I mean, when you see players at a comic shop, that tends to be the case. Right. There are, there are a lot of female magic players or lady magic players out there that are wonderful. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there's, I mean, then there's cliche ones and non cliche ones. And there's, it, it ranges a wide gamut. But when you look at the kind of the standard people who play all the time, it tends to be dudes. As far as the cards and the lore and the story goes, there's a lot of female characters yeah. in Magic. A lot. And a lot of them are really well. Yeah, there's the there's the over-the-top, highly sexualized cards. But then there's mm. also like really freaking great uh, uh, Valkyrie kinds of, kinds of characters or just uh, female mages or you know, things that are a lot classier and a lot more. And that was even going way back to the beginning. I remember buying my first deck. And I'm not even the biggest Magic player ever. I'm just sort of – I'm almost kind of – collected them over the years like almost like comics where it's like i'm i'm buying these as art and oh yeah you can play with them from time to time too but the the artistic endeavors mm. was intriguing to me but even back in 1995 96 early days of, of magic a lot of those cards have some really killer female characters that are not you know through the male gaze that they are yeah. very very high you know, it's like high art it's high fantasy if you want to well, go that yeah route. the reason i actually asked that was because i've Never as an outsider, granted, not in the culture, but I never perceived magic as much of a boys club as even like D and D. Hmm. And I think D and D is definitely like they've opened the doors. I think Wizards of the Coast has done this this great job of. I think they're doing a pretty good job of promoting it equally. Like it, it's not, you know, no one from the Dungeons and Dragons like company is making mm -hmm. it a boys game. Yeah. But um I you know I I definitely when I go play in public games and stuff it's <laughs> unbelievably dominated by men. And you know I have run into a couple of like uh 
coarse comments or something where I, I wonder if it's like, is, it, is this because we're in a male space that you feel comfortable saying that? Or are you socially awkward and that was meant to be a joke kind of thing? You know, that sort of thing. It's never struck me as like a, a men's rights rally or something. Is think what about, I'm trying to say. Think about, it, you know, it could just be awkwardness. Think about this. And we kind of had this conversation in our pre-discussion about just corporations a la Disney buying all the content. Yeah. Think about who owns – I mean, Wizards of the Coast bought Dungeons & Dragons in the late 90s. I think like mm-hmm. 97, 98, somewhere around there. Hasbro bought Wizards of the Coast. So Hasbro owns all of it. And <laughs> and you know, soon Disney will own that too, and then we'll just be one giant thing. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the fictional realities will just collapse into Disney. But Hasbro has, as a giant corporation, has the imperative to try to expand the footprint – uh, the demographic footprint of all their products. So mm-hmm. it would stand to reason that, yeah, we're going to, we're going to stay grounded in what we came from, but at the same time, we're going to try to get young girls to be into this and not make it just this weird ultra boys, nerdy boys thing, which there's some of it could be that, but I, I like that they're expanding, but that is that you're, you're seeing a lot of that through the, the edicts of a corporation trying to make it reach more people. Make yeah, it more accessible, yeah. more compatible, and it, which is interesting because it's like you'd think that a corporation would just—I mean, some people I'm sure think that they're ruining it—but you'd think that would <laughs> that would tarnish and and try to you know, bring out the worst in that property, and instead of instead of kind of making it more broad, more wide ranging, yeah. more appealing. Well, I I do think that one of the very exciting things about it is about the game Dungeons and Dragons is that uh, I I I mean I could talk endlessly. Uh, you know, with, with mostly constructive criticism on mechanics or or the way that those mechanics are explained. But I think they've done a very good job of uh, making it where the, the rules and the like mechanics of the game are separate from the culture of what, however you're playing, you could run a totally racist men's rights game in it for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's not something that is, built into the construction of the game. That's your choice, right. your application of it. So you could, you, you absolutely, it's only, you know, limited by your imagination. So if you mm-hmm. want to set up this matriarchy, that's like, you know, a, a steampunk slash swords and sorcery slash sci-fi, you know, <laughs> matriarchy, you can do it and just live in that world and play that game. It, it That would be awesome. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I guess in that way, it's actually more limitless than the sort of the culture we absorb in movies and TV, because those are the things that seem in order to appeal to the broadest audience, like have to play on the scenery and the settings that we're so comfortable and familiar with, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, you know, uh, I, I love having all this, <laughs> like thinking about all of this in the context of fantasy. Um, and especially as because of how we mentioned on our, when Sam Westworth show last night, like game of Thrones for all its faults and problems is undeniably one of the biggest fantasy, you know, properties, properties, productions. Yeah. Yeah. Everything like books, uh, just everything about it is huge. You know, I mean, just, uh, you know, we, we give George Martin shit for not finishing the novels, but I mean, that world of ice and fire book that we talk about all the time is unbelievable. Like this is just Mm -hmm. such a gift to people who love, fantasy mm. um and uh 
I don't know. Am I stumbling towards a conclusion or, or what? I know you had um, some thoughts about audience reactions and stuff. And yeah. I don't know if we want to get in on that because it's, I feel like we've. I don't a- know. I've kind of been hesitating because I where we were going was a little bit le- in a different direction. I was early on. I was going to inject this idea that we've arrived in a fan culture where a lot of things are going going wrong as we as we've sort of diagnosed in previous episodes but what seems to be happening more and more is a lot of fans are are using the genres of fantasy or sci-fi to they're expecting something that matches their own worldview either politically, socioeconomically, all of the above right. and they are expecting that out of it I think that's almost another episode we could dive into yeah. it, that takes us in all kinds of directions. But I'll, I'll just kind of say in this case, going, you know, using again, using the Game of Thrones comparison, <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of people did want that show to sit, to make a statement about the matriarchy or to make a definitive statement. And that's not necessarily what that, that story was going to be. Yeah. Um, and you get people, and you could even you could even bring in, you know, a lot of the fan consternation about the Last Jedi. Even though we talked about yeah. that in a previous episode too, it's kind of the same. Yeah, there was a lot of bigoted, kind of ridiculous stuff. But a lot of fans were like, "This is not the story that I wanted. Yeah. This is not the story that I thought it should be." And it's like, well, yeah, but then write your own thing if you want to see your worldview, whatever it is, good, bad, or ugly, represented in a, in a thing you like, and it doesn't do that. That's not the thing's fault. That's your fault for bringing and hoisting those expectations onto that thing. Yeah. For using the genre of fantasy or the package of fantasy to to or you know the 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 package of Star Wars to tell that story. And it's like that's not. I mean, think about if Harry Potter started you know started new now. I wonder if it wouldn't have suffered from a lot more of that. It's like almost Harry mm. Potter snuck in under the wire before yeah. this really started ramping up. Where I don't recall a single time. Uh, you, the Harry Potter audience was like, well, I mean, you you do now because J.K. Rowling keeps messing it up by coming forward and saying, well, this is what, you know, she keeps retconning stuff in that was never apparent the first time around, which I have huge problems with, but whatever, it's her, her story. <laughs> so she's almost retroactively doing it. But and at the time of both the books and the original run of movies airing, I didn't, you didn't hear a lot of people saying, well, that's not what, you know, Draco should have been this. And it's like, none of that was ever the thing. It's like people would, discuss it and talk about it like we do game of thrones there's plenty right. of podcasts about harry potter but it was always about the appreciation of it and the speculation on what's to come and not oh this does not fit what i thought hermione was supposed to be hermione right. was going to be a lesbian hero and it's like that was never the that was never part of it you know that was yeah. but now now i wonder now if harry well, potter had started new like would there be a group of people who by no account by no fault but their own would assume this character like Luna was meant to be, you know, was meant to represent this. And it's like, that's not, yeah, yeah. no, I, I, no, I mean, this is, I love, that's a good, that's a perfect way to tie it back up. You're, and you're totally right. Harry Potter snuck in under the wire and that is the internet wire. Like it mm-hmm. got to live its full life before social media. Yep. So yes, there was social media when the movies were coming out, but the canon had already been established. So the social media just promoted it. It didn't yeah. rip it apart in a thousand different shards yeah, it that wasn't, had to represent every single audience member. It wasn't being created as it was being commented upon in real time in that way. I mean, yeah. obviously there were critics and stuff. But I also I I mean I just to double onto what you're saying, like yeah, the the Hermione story or the you know, Rose in Last Jedi or what like 
it's a fucking fantasy people. I mean, I just, it can go any way. And I think what's important to the creator is to stay true to what they, they think is their, their characters. Boom. That's it. Let me ask. I'm so glad you said that. Let me, well, let me ask you this, because this is, this is hugely important. Have we crossed the Rubicon into a world where more and more and more, everybody's going to demand because we have so much access to whatever we want, whenever we want, we can build our entertainment libraries or diets in exactly the way we want. I, I feel like that is subconsciously or consciously influencing fans to demand that every story be their story. Are we are we moving further and further away from a dictatorial creative ecosystem? Meaning that the George Lucases and George R. R. Martins of the world, where it's like, look, this is my story. Whatever I want is going to happen. You can enjoy it or not, but that is the only choice you get to say, yes, I'm going to enjoy this or no, I'm not. And then if you don't, find something else. It seems like we're moving away from that into, no, I want Star Wars to be exactly this, <laughs> or I want Game of Thrones to be exactly this. Like This is what it means. And instead of just writing your own version of that or creating your own world, uh, you, we're almost kind of in this weird middle middle area where I would imagine in 10 to 15 years – you're going to be able to fire up an app on your phone and write whatever version and like literally well, a, you know, CGI, you can already whatever do that. Version. go ahead and do it. Like I don't, that's, I guess that's no, but I mean, I mean even like take it even further and like literally create video or something. make a, make a star Wars. Like you have your, your fully rendered yeah. CGI characters and you can make them do and say whatever you want and you can watch. I mean, that's, we're going to get there eventually. And we're almost kind of in this middle area where the expectation is for that, but the technology and tools aren't quite there yet for the mass populace. Yeah. Do you think that's where we're headed? And is that good? I don't know that. Uh, I I don't know. I because I don't I don't it, it's <laughs> I don't know that that population of people that are that grumpy about that stuff actually is growing. Mm-hmm. Only that they're at sometimes louder and you know That's and true. their yeah. intensity changes. But but. I do believe that it's it's just like you said earlier. It's like if you if you if that's not the story you wanted, go write your story. Yeah. But because you'll find out it's way harder than you think it is. Oh, 100%. <laughs> and you know, to to some extent it's dangerous for Disney or any anyone else to keep acquiring these big properties because then the expectations and the you know, trying trying to balance the expectations of a very hardcore fan you know, group along with like mass appeal is more mm-hmm. and more difficult. But the other thing is that, that, it, and, and this, all of this feeds back into that, that, you know, point that introduced this whole topic for our podcast, which was, I, I don't, I don't know why people want fantasy to play by some basically arbitrary rules that fit into something. Mm-hmm. And the example I had, as you were talking about one of those things was, uh, you know, thinking of the, uh, uh, there, I don't know how to say this without mentioning like, you know, just the word politics, but there's definitely like politics. There's a, a political view on when something gets changed, you know, or, or like just like The Last Jedi. There's sort of a, a, a political perspective that's lent to why there were so many women in that movie, you know, as mm-hmm. though – well, the rules had been set up that it was mostly men. So now that you've oh, made a movie with mostly women, you're breaking the rules. And, you know, and it's like, yeah, why do you apply the rules there? Anyway, I, this is one of those weird things where, um, uh, you know, when when X-23 took over the Wolverine mantle or Jane uh, 
Seymour. What, what's her name? Jane. What's <laughs> Foster? Jane Foster <laughs> lifted the, the hammer. Of Thor. I know. <laughs> Dr. I Quinn know. Thor. Well, um, you know, where, where people were arbitrarily upset about that. And the example I always gave was, you know, when I was a kid, Captain Marvel was a black woman in a black and white costume and Thor was a horse. Like I don't, <laughs> these things change. Like these, these are not set in stone. You know, everything is, is uh, fantasy is, is fantasy. I mean, yeah, for, for yeah. Christ's sake, like it's, <laughs> it is like, but it is like, I mean, let's bring, let's go back to Harry Potter. I think a lot of people, myself included, are a little agitated right now because JK Rowling herself is breaking the rules that she had set up mm. by, and now I'm not even just saying like Dumbledore is gay. Like, I don't care about that. That's fine. Great. You know, that's, if you can get more story out of it, fine. But she's going back. Like even what bothers me more is that, oh yeah, Nagini is now a woman who is perfectly benign and somehow she's going to end up being this evil snake that is Voldemort's best friend. Like, no, that was never like, th- don't do that. The rule you set up was that this snake was this thing. So it's almost like the creator you know, there's a, there's a grace period where it's like, okay, I'm creating a new world. Here's what everything is. But then the public does not let that creator make yeah. any adjustments. Once that world is set, God damn it, you better keep to those rules or we're going to throw a fit. And I think wow. that's what you're seeing more and more. Yeah, yeah. And, and in the case of Game of Thrones, it's, oh, you know, this is what we thought the rules were, even though it's it, the show isn't done yet. The story's not done yet. So it can still evolve. And, and to our point, I think you and I agree that I – everything we're seeing is obeying by those rules. Yeah. Just a lot of people thought the rules were different in the case of star Wars. You already nailed it. Like that was sort of set up from the beginning as a male centric story. So when you start to introduce a lot of female characters as badass as they may be good contingent of the fan base got pretty, pretty, well, I know, mean, bent think, you know, it was pre internet m- mob days, but think of like Arwen in Lord of the Rings and what a, like, uh, how much that provoked things like i got that name right right like liz tyler's character oh um, uh no or Eowyn, Ar- or- oh fuck arwen arwen is the uh is the blonde i believe no oh, it's not that- bad anyway you know you're like they're like oh they're just trying to you know put all these got girls it. in it to to be politically correct they put one woman in it it was just one was that a thing i don't woman. even remember that oh yeah, yeah yeah oh yeah for sure um you know, and I just it is Arwen. You are correct. I'm sorry. Okay. And Who just, am I thinking of? I'm thinking of uh, uh oh god, hang on. Keep keep going. I'll look you may up. be thinking of Eowyn. Um I am. You're right. I'm absolutely yeah. I, I only this is only fresh in my mind because I was corrected very recently. <laughs> so ah. <laughs> I do not feel bad. But um uh, anyway, I really appreciate you bringing up the Harry Potter stuff because it is great to uh, for both of us to show an example of the hill we're going to die on <laughs> rather than let the creators have their say and for me i think it's the star wars original trilogy <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and all the fixes to it that drove me yeah. fucking crazy you know well, and though it. the creator in me is like you know bless go for it george you make it what you wanted and the fan in me is like fuck you han shot first well <laughs> I- I'm sort of, I'm, I have a weird position on this. Like I was completely fine 
with the re-edits on the original trilogy because I'm like, okay, fine. He says he didn't have the technology to do what he really wanted. And some of the, you can bitch about some of the scenes, but I mean, yeah. the Death Star blowing up in the re-edit is awesome. It's way cooler than the than the first one. I mean, just yeah. the effects I don't actually are mind better. That part. It's only the ca- the characters. It's really just the Han Solo moment. It's a it's the the busyness of Empire drives me crazy. How there's like little droids and gadgets everywhere. Oh yeah, um, that was just, because. That's- I get it that that's a budget thing, but it made such a cooler set that like, God, you're on this desert planet or whatever, and there's nothing there. Yeah. You know, like you have this massive technology and there's nothing. What bothered me more was the prequels where it's like, oh, the force is now due to these, right. these genetically <laughs> passed like cells that only special people get. To, I'm like, wait, what? Like that's You just rewrote the rules to what the force was, even though it's the same guy. And you could argue, well, this is even more his story because he had complete control. There was no Larry Kasdan or um, uh, anybody else from the original trilogy, yeah. like helping him. It was all him completely. So you could say, well, this is even more his vision. And yeah, but I, I'm even finding myself falling to that same trap of like, but these aren't the rules you set up. You yeah. told us that this was the way the universe worked and now you're sort of messing you're you're rejiggering it and it's yeah. not it, it and it may it creates a dissonance i think or a, a friction in, in a fan's head especially with something as beloved as star wars harry potter etc where it's just like man there's other ways you could have done it without you know, ruining the core canon i, I think I, that the midichlorians i mean man what a weird hill to to fight on but i but i'm with you is, is what I mean. But like what, it, it, because it fundamentally alters a thing about which we suspended disbelief. Mm, we, mm. we specifically like suspended disbelief to believe in this magic. Mm. And then he tells us like, no, it was science all along. And yeah. they knew, and to put that in the timeline, like that wouldn't have been a big deal if they figured that out in force awakens or last Jedi. Yeah. But to think like, Oh, this happened 40 years before Ben Kenobi was telling luke about the force yeah you know then why didn't ben kenobi say like oh but you know years later we found out it was just a bunch of tiny little cells yeah yeah the retconny is really really tricky yeah that's a it's it's interesting i guess that's not even that's not even one of those things that i mean let's talk about if something that's something that existed before the internet if the prequels had come out in today's internet climate you'd never hear the end of it and that has nothing to do with a a Rose Tycho character or anything. I mean, so many fans would just, I mean, the, the existence of Jar Jar Binks would have, would have exploded Reddit in, in a fiery blast because people would be yeah. like, what is this? Like, and it would have been from all sides. It would have been like, what a ridiculous lame character. Others would have been like, what a racist <laughs> character. What a ridiculous, like oh, yeah. all of it would have been. And, and, you know, think about 1999, oh there really, there was consternation, but you'd have it, amongst your own you know, immediate friend group. You yeah. didn't have this national outrage. Well, and God, this is, we could seriously continue this discussion forever because that, that is so interesting to think of. Yeah. So when I saw whatever the Jar Jar Binks one was called and I went, I'm not bothering with the others. And I just tuned out like they lost me as a fan. Whereas mm-hmm. like today I would be able to go on Reddit and find the people that agreed with me and yep. have like this little sub subculture of fans Start a Kickstarter to remake it. it. Yeah, 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 or something like that. (laughs) And then then it's like I found my people. But instead what happened was I was like, well, I'm not going to these movies. So I had to go socialize with other people. You know, I I sort of had to change a a social group sort of thing. I mean, it's not like I – if I had hung out with an exclusively Star Wars friend group, I'm sure I would have kept hanging out with them. But um, I would – yeah, it would be great to – like I want to conduct the thought experiment of what if the prequels were released in the – 
you know, internet as we know it, but we don't really have to do that because there was a set of prequels released in the days that we know it, <laughs> the Hobbit. And it was oh, fucking yeah. terrible. Yeah. And I think, and I think the, the populace Ugh. responded appropriately. Whereas the, the first one came out huge success. Everyone goes to see it, but, but when this is not the Hobbit and then the yeah. next two just had these sort of, you know, faltering audiences and it's, yeah, I, at least the Star Wars prequels, the audience picked up with everyone. I mean, isn't well, that what we learned? Is that Revenge of the Sith had like made like the best money or something like just that? Just because Revenge of the Sith was the best the of, end of the it. three. Yeah. I mean, it's it, well, it, yeah, yeah. And word got out that like this one's worth it. It's worth I mean, and largely because of Ian McDermott. Like that guy crushed that movie. But I mean, that that second one, I forget what the uh, not it's it's, it's, it's Attack, it's of, Attack the of the Clones. Yeah. What's the first one? I thought that was attack. No, that's not attack. Of the Phantom Clones. Menace. Phantom Menace. Thank you. Yeah, I just I keep thinking the Darth Maul one. Like that's they should just call it. <laughs> that's Star funny because Wars all I think Maul. of is like you know the pod race one. <laughs> no, no, Darth Maul is the coolest part of that. No, Attack of the yeah, Clones yeah. was so bad, so stupid on every yeah. level yeah. that I'm surprised anybody showed up for Revenge of the Sith. But and just the presence of Hayden Christensen. So so many things went horribly wrong. But you're mm. right. Those movies did. I think I think because everybody kept thinking maybe it'll get better let's just keep going like surely this time will be the the, the right time and yeah. now it would just i mean george lucas sold star wars to disney because everybody yelled at him for making it his way and he's like fine disney will make it I, quit yelling at me i have nothing to do with it anymore yeah. that's why he sold it he was glad to keep making them but everybody kept shouting him down Every time he tried to do anything, he's like, fine, yeah. fuck it. Like, let them do it. I don't, I can't deal with this. Which I sucks. I mean, that's, yeah. that's terrible. Um, and, and although it's a downer, it's probably a good note to, to wrap up on because that's, uh, you know, we've, we've definitely talked, we could keep talking about the subject forever. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I feel like we've gotten the, we opened with the questions, you know, about how, the rules and, and why people, you know, have their own arbitrary rules. They want everything. And there's no better place to end with than with George Lucas getting shouted <laughs> out of like arguably one of the greatest sci-fi fantasy creators, yeah. you know, of the last 50 years. And he does not want to listen to the public critique his movies anymore, which is I, super. I mean, like I, I'm, I'm super is, I, as, as upset as I am about the prequels and the edits to the original trilogy. That is unfair. <laughs> It That's is unfair, for that and man. I worry it's a harbinger of things to come. Yeah, I worry we're headed, and George R. R. Martin might be dealing with it right now. You know, we've got a bunch of prequels yeah. and stuff. Oh, Thrones coming, like, like when a prop, and it's it's not just the fault of the fans. You, when a property becomes so big, yeah, that there's so much expectation both from the fans and the corporate side, the money side. Yeah, um, you are know, you going to be in the situation where I mean, James Gunn, for God's sake, God yeah. bless the fact that he's brought back into that fold, but he was, I mean, that was the, that was the corporate side doing it. And the fans were like, no, 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 we, we want him to stick around, but the corporate yeah. sides, well, we're going to lose money if we don't make this decision. Um, yeah. There's other elements to that too. The whole merger was going on. So my guess is they just, yeah. they wanted to kind of brush aside, but you've what? got now this, this sort of um, public private yeah. uh, thing going on where it's like the fans have to be served and the corporate money side has to be served. I don't like the prospects for story going into the future under those circumstances. Yeah. Well, and to, to put a little question in your head that we don't have to answer in this episode, but just to, to maybe just sort of like end on, although if you want to answer it, that's fine. But I wonder if that is kind of what, what we're seeing when JK Rowling um, 
retcon something is her exerting a little bit of control over something that's really no longer hers. You know, it is, it is owned in the fans minds and by large corporations. And so every once in a while she reminds us like, no, I control this world. And, uh, but, but I'm an outsider looking in on that. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. So I, I, I don't have, you know, a, a stake in the game. That is interesting though. You're right. Cause there is so much now beyond her, her purview. I guess because I see I did I have not heard this in a few years, but I definitely felt like until the Game of Thrones show caught up with George Martin that every once in a while he was reminding us like, no, I own this world. He was releasing chapters. He would, you know, do these like uh, he would go to conventions and talk about what he was working on and stuff. And it it felt like, okay, every time the show deviates, he shows up somewhere and goes like, well, actually, Theon is doing this, Mm -hmm. you know, and now we just he's kind of gotten trampled and, and we're not hearing it. But um, yes, I sorry. I feel like I have to bring this to a close because we are over yeah, an hour. Please. Yeah, but um, really loved <laughs> this come. conversation. Uh, and I wanted to give some um, flashbacks to older episodes that we've mentioned. We talked about uh, Rose Tycho in number 74. We talk about hard sci-fi and uh, soft sci-fi and sci-fi fantasy and all that kind of stuff in number nine. Um, we talk about Star Wars in number 12 and number 13. We're going way back on these. Um, so yeah, if you like this discussion, uh, jump back in the panelism archives and listen to those, um, which will confusingly be called either coffee and comics or the Todd and Taylor show, but they're all panels. <laughs> it's all panelism <laughs> at the end of the day. And, uh, please subscribe and tell your friends. If you like what you heard, leave a comment wherever you find podcasts. It actually helps us get the word out and helps uh, the show rise in the rankings. So follow us, like us, subscribe, tell your friends, give us feedback. If you didn't like it, if you thought there's a point we didn't cover that you wanted to, to hear, please let us know. You can find us on Instagram at panelism.inc. That's panelism.inc. And that is also our URL, panelism.inc. Type that into a browser. You'll get all our past shows, other stuff, other cool stuff coming down the pike as well and we've already promoted our other sister show so we don't have to do that again it's called uh, wednesday and westeros wednesday and westeros <laughs> todd any anywhere folks can find you or any other special personal yeah. things you want to nah, promote good no good. panelism.inc on instagram that's our that's our big hangout place did so, you um, have a, a game like a sort of a cool grid board oh game boy. thing i'm still working on it still working i'll, t- on I'll it? talk about it when it's out all right yeah yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this was uh, such a pleasure to have this conversation and it, it felt like it was the right time after all the Game of Thrones stuff. So um, oh, 100%. we will for sure circle back on this, but I think next week, barring some anomaly, we're back to comic books. Yep. Awesome. Well, until then, uh, I will see you there or see you later or something. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>